please rate, review, and subscribe to Dare to Explore wherever you listen to podcasts. Dare to Explore is presented by the Space Camp Explorers Club, a new way to support the U.S. Space and Rocket Center and Space Camp. Members of the Space Camp Explorers Club gain exclusive access to content, behind-the-scenes stories, and members-only swag. To learn more, visit SpaceCampExplorersClub.org. first time I saw like a little MakerBot, you know, like desktop polymer 3D printer. It was at my community college and they had printed me like a little snowflake with like stormtrooper heads on the end. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is so cool. If I ever get to actually work in engineering, like hands on, I was like, I would love it to be in 3D printing. And fast forward, I got a pathways internship and ended up being hired into the Additive Manufacturing Lab, where we work with large-scale 3D printers doing stuff for the RS-25 and ECLIS life support system and wind tunnel testing and anything that you could possibly think of for NASA that needs 3D printing. That's what our lab does. It's kind of like a dream come true. It really is really cool. (laughs) Susie Martinez is an additive manufacturing engineer for NASA at the Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville, Alabama. She received her bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from the University of Kentucky in 2019. Calling herself a STEMinist, Susie has more than 64,000 followers on Instagram, where she uses her platform to encourage and mentor women pursuing science and engineering careers. I'm Ryan Faricelli. Join me as I learn what makes this extraordinary individual dare to explore. I've got a spaceship that I'm waiting for. Kentucky, um, really tiny town in like the northeastern part of Kentucky. But fun fact, Les Johnson from NASA and Solar Sail, you know, king <laughs> and sci-fi writer is actually from Ashland as well. And I didn't meet him until I came here to NASA. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'm from Ashland, Kentucky. And I was like, holy crap, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> There's like a small group of people that are from Ashland, there's like five or six of us just at NASA Marshall. Really? Yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> Is something in the water? Or <laughs> I guess, I don't know. Our little tiny 20,000 person town must have some smart old people over there. That's fun. <laughs> My father is a mechanic, but he is definitely the one that got me into engineering. When my father was 12 years old, he purchased his first car. Um, It was actually a Dodge Dart, and he (laughs) loves it. He is his favorite car. Um, So it kind of became a tradition in my family that at 12 years old, you get your first car. Um, <laughs> so my brother got his first car at 12. And then my twin sister and I both got our first cars at 12. And my car is a 1964 Corvair Spider convertible. And I love it. It's so great. I still have it. It's awesome. You know, growing up, I really had this ingrained in me that 
you know how to change your oil, you know how to fix your tires, you know how to change your tires in emergency, you know, I know as much as I possibly can ins and out of my own car and also a lot of other cars because we would help him. <laughs> and it really just sparked my interest into how do things work? How do we figure this out? Like the engineering mindset. So I really don't think that I would be an engineer without my dad. <laughs> like there's no way I would have... I wasn't usually like a puzzles type of person. So right. the engineering mindset didn't really come naturally to me until I was a little older and it is all because of him. <laughs> I went to a community college in Ashland called Ashland Community and Technical College. And I applied for my NASA internship the summer after I graduated with my associate's degree. And that's how I came down to Huntsville. I actually didn't even know that there was a NASA center in Alabama or in Huntsville or even what Huntsville was until I had gotten my internship and uh, it was kind of funny because I got the email that I was confirmed for my internship. And I was like, oh my gosh, I think they made a mistake. <laughs> I couldn't believe it because I had declared engineering as a major, but I had only taken up to calculus four or differential equations. And I was, I just looked at my twin sister and I was like, I, I got the internship. And she goes, you're kidding me. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm going to be working in NASA for this summer. And it's all history after that, I guess. <laughs> Did you always want to be an engineer? Did you start by wanting to be an astronaut? I have always loved space, um, but I was really bad at math, like in high school, like <laughs> super bad at math. So I was like, okay, I'm going to have to get to space somehow. I'm going to have to get to NASA somehow. So I was exploring all my options. And one of my, or I think it was my mom, she said, why don't you do computer science? You don't have to take that much math, like whatever. And I was like, okay, I'll do computer science. And then I got into college and I took my first math class in college. And I was like, oh wait, this is super easy. So then I changed to engineering and took all of my math classes. Turns out I'm pretty good at math. Oh, really? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so you decided to go to become an engineer. Was, was there a specific aspect of engineering that you were particularly uh, compelled by when you were younger? Again, end goal was always NASA space you know I was just a space lover you know look at the stars and the moon as much as I possibly can one of those people so my end goal was actually to be an aerospace engineer and there is no aerospace engineering you know curriculum in any university in the state of Kentucky hmm. and I looked <laughs> so I was like okay well what are some other options and I looked at like nuclear engineering, which is also not very common, but mechanical engineering is the, what I got a degree in. I looked at that and I was like, okay, I think I can still do aerospace, you know, as an emphasis with a degree in mechanical engineering, which is what I did. Uh, turns out it was okay. <laughs> it worked out fine. <laughs> what part of engineering did you uh, imagine yourself being in? Since you it couldn't be aerospace engineering, what did you hope your, your physical engineering uh, you know, mechanical engineering would, would put you in? So actually when I was in my community college, I was always interested in 3D printing, uh, which is actually what I work in now, which is it great. It worked out perfectly. Kind of like a dream come true. It really is really cool. <laughs> so additive manufacturing is, is just a fancy NASA phrase for 3D printing on large scales? Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of terms for 3D printing. Additive manufacturing, you know, rapid prototyping. 
there's just a whole lot of terms and NASA decided, okay, we're just going to call it additive manufacturing for us. And then whatever <laughs> anybody else wants to call it, that's cool. <laughs> well, your first internship was at the Marshall Space Center doing the Centennial Challenges program. So Centennial Challenges program is a project that offers challenges for the U.S. public. One of their most famous challenges is the NASA Glove Challenge. So they put out a challenge to have the public come up with a way to make the NASA gloves that they use on the uh, astronaut suits uh, easier, more affordable, more effective, and more efficient. So they put out this challenge and people put in their prototypes, they submit their ideas, you know, and then they have this time period that they're allowed to submit stuff. It's usually like six to eight months. And then they all come together and they test their prototypes. And then whoever wins gets whatever prize money was offered for that challenge, usually between 300 to $1.5 million. It's a lot of money for um, like a public challenge. I think, I think it's awesome. Um, <laughs> but the person who won the NASA glove challenge, NASA patents their patented their idea and they bought it from them and they actually use it now for the NASA gloves, all of them, which is super cool. Uh, they have all kinds of challenges. Uh, the one that I worked on was actually 3D printed habitat challenge, which just, you know, sparked my interest even more in 3D printing. So the first phase of the challenge was just design ideas. Like what do you think a 3D printed habitat on the moon or Mars would look like? And people digitally designed using, you know, something that they actually did themselves or Photoshop or whatever to create what they think, you know, a habitat would look like on another planet. But the second phase of the challenge was actually printing. Um, so these people who won this challenge were like the finalists were like, okay, so we need to take our idea and see what we can do with it. So they worked with Cat, uh, Caterpillar to actually 3D print solid structures and then when they actually came to doing the challenge which was in 2019 may 2019 they had it at the caterpillar caterpillar facility in peoria illinois and they had all of the caterpillar like their heavy duty ones they printed all their stuff and then they had the cats come and just like break them see if they could break them and that's how they <laughs> tested their strength the videos are unreal because they have like these gigantic 3D printed cement structures with this like massive bulldozer and it's just like ramming into it to see if it can break it. There was one that actually they could not break and I think that was the one that won. I don't remember who is the team, but I love the videos. I thought it was so cool. <laughs> Out in Arizona, actually they are printing houses in the same way using drones. Wow. So they have like small small extrusion heads on the drones and there's like a swarm of drones and they do a layer and then the next one does a layer and they just go over and over again and it's really really fast because it's all super controlled right. um so i would actually think that that would be the coolest way to do it uh, but the large-scale ones were also done with robots Experience Dare to Explore Milestones to Mars, the all-new exhibit sponsored by Lockheed Martin at the U.S. Space and Rocket Center. Dare to Explore Milestones to Mars takes visitors on a six-decade journey of space exploration and looks at the innovation that has prepared humans to land on the moon and go beyond. Especially designed for young visitors with school groups and families, this exhibit includes interactive displays and activities that demonstrate how we will live and work in space. 
This experience is included with your U.S. Space and Rocket Center general admissions. Visit rocketcenter.com for tickets today. A lot of people know that 3D printers can print in polymers, which is basically just, you know, a weed whacker wire (laughs) melted through an extrusion head. Uh, But a lot of people don't know that you can actually print metal. Um, It is sort of the same quote unquote process, um, but the materials and the lasers and the way that you have to go about it is completely different. So the way that the metals work is you have powder metal. Um, They're completely spherical and they're about 30 microns, which is about half the width of a human hair. So they're very, very small. um, And you have hundreds of pounds of powderized metal in a sandbox basically so you have a um windshield wiper sweep a very very thin layer about 40 microns um over the top of your plate and then you have a laser on the overhead with mirrors to hit the powder as many times as it needs to to effectively micro weld the powder to the plate Wow. Um, So you do this hundreds, thousands of times, depending on how many layers or how big your part is, how complex your part is. Um, So it just goes over and over and over and over again. And then when you're done, you take the plate out and you give it a shake. Make sure you get all that powder out of there because it's actually 100% recyclable. So all of the powder that wasn't used, that's just filled in your your piece is all recyclable and we do recycle 100% of it. Um, And then you just cut it off the plate, heat treat it, and then you have a fully monolithic piece. It's a solid piece with all of its internal channels and it can be used as if it was machine. Um, and it's much faster, much more efficient and super cool. <laughs> wow. Can you talk a little bit about how this applies to space? Plastic parts traditionally are used for fit checks, uh, a quick print to make sure that your design is solid, um, any type of thing like that. Uh, desk ornaments you know you know how it is um but metal prints are actually can be used in testing um as if it was a actual piece and a lot of times these test pieces do end up becoming we just do another print after the test is done and then that's the piece that they use um we have worked a lot with the rs25 office which is the engines for the sls and we will do parts for them if they need an engine test or if they have a part that they can't get quick enough um and hopefully in the future we'll be able to integrate metal 3d printing more into the actual hardware the life support system has been the exact same since the 80s you know 70s 80s whenever it was created and we are taking some of their parts and making them lighter with the same function uh, like shaving off 10 15 pounds which is a big deal when you're sending something to space right (laughs) Uh, especially when every pound is worth thirty thousand dollars so if we can take a single part and make it make the vehicle three hundred thousand dollars less then that is very good (laughs) for us yeah we usually do like wind tunnel testing we can print small little um they look like rocket nozzles, you know, to print the wind tunnel testing so that we can do the aerodynamics and other things. Um, pretty much any customer within NASA that needs something 3D printed, I mean, we, we're we the people to do it, right? I also work um, in in-space manufacturing. You know how NASA 
operates, uh, <laughs> use uh, other companies to help us um, with government contracts. So we are working with other companies to build new 3D printing and additive manufacturing and rapid prototyping machines to put on the ISS so that we can make it and don't take it. Not all of Susie's work is done on Earth. She also works with a 3D printer located on the International Space Station. It's called the um, the AMF, which is the Additive Manufacturing Facility. And it, if you've seen the the 3D printed wrench, um, I think there's a picture of uh, Barry Wilmore holding it on the ISS. Uh, that stuff came from the AMF on the ISS, and it's still there. We also have the refabricator on the ISS, which was supposed to be recycling and filament making and printing all in one machine that's actually returning from the ISS hopefully soon. Um, and we are working on putting new things on the ISS um, in terms of other materials and higher quality materials and better prints and more stuff that we could actually use, you know? What is the advantage to printing it on the space station as opposed to making it here on Earth and sending it up? Research. First of all, because um, we have no idea really how things are going to react being built in space in a way. Not like building the ISS with the shuttle. That's not what I mean. I mean, actually extruding the material or actually, you know, centering the material in, in ways that we haven't discovered yet and we need more data. Also, we're going to need <laughs> to go and explore some other planets um, and the only way that we're actually going to be able to successfully do that is through 3D printing because um, there's no way that we're going to be able to take full habitats on the SLS to you know the moon or Mars or right. a long-term mission and we're going to have to be able to 3D print a habitat when we get there or 3D print a solar panel when we get there it just these things are going to be needed and there is no way that we have the we have the payload space to take everything we need. So we're going to have to figure out how to make it. Um, and also if there is an emergency on the SLS or the ISS or on a habitat somewhere or another planet or a long-term mission, you know, if there's an emergency, we need to be able to know that our facilities can produce the part that it needs to fix this emergency. Um, if we had had this capability, Apollo 13 may never have happened. It's kind of interesting now to be able to talk to someone who's sort of a fresh face to NASA. And yeah, I'm, absolutely. I'm curious, what uh, what was it like compared to how you expected it to be joining NASA today? When I was an intern in 2016, that was really like my first encounter with women engineers. Okay. So I was like just blown away by like how smart everybody was <laughs> and I just could not believe that I was in the presence of so many quote-unquote legends that I saw legends in my eyes right or when I would go to a talk that they held for the interns and it was uh the man who led the Columbia recovery efforts. And then I, the next day I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. And then the next day I saw him in the cafeteria and I was like, <laughs> wait, he still works? Like he actually works here? Like he, that's so cool. He's just a guy he, eating lunch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so as I, you know, progressed in my internship, it kind of went from me being just 
dumbstruck starstruck all the time to being like oh hey there's that guy who did this awesome thing like 10 years ago and now there's a book about him or or homer hickam volunteers at the animal shelter because he's an awesome guy and i saw october sky like three months ago (laughs) and i can't believe that he's right here right that sort of wears off sort of sometimes i'll still be like oh my gosh um my husband did an interview for Telemundo. He's from Mexico and he also works at NASA too. And he did a interview for the, the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 landing at the Space and Rocket Center. And while we were there, astronaut Al Warden, late astronaut Al Warden, um, was there walking around the Space and Rocket Center. He was supposed to give a talk later that day at the Space and Rocket Center. And so I was just chilling there, you know, talking to the media people there. I've worked with them a lot. And one of the ladies looks at me and goes, you know who that is, right? And I was like, yeah, it's Al Warden. She goes, why don't you go say hi to him? And I was like, I don't want to bother him. (laughs) Uh, But he was so sweet. We walked up to him. He was looking at the moon rock, you know, at the back of the Davidson Center. Right. And I was like, hi, (laughs) (laughs) I'm Susan Martinez. I work in NASA. I'm an engineer. And he was, he was like, you're an engineer in NASA. That's so cool. He's like, when I was an astronaut, we didn't have women engineers at NASA. (laughs) And I was like, oh my gosh, that's, I just didn't even think about that. I mean, that's just how he thought, because he literally said, we just didn't have very many many women engineers. And I don't know, it kind of made me think about things a little differently, about just how NASA has progressed so much, just over the last 50 years. and how we've also not progressed so much in a way. I mean, I guess that's just the way the workforce is. Um, But I mean, I think NASA now has like 50% or almost 50% women. I think it's like 40, 60, which is great. I think that's amazing. And it's really great to have so many awesome women engineers to look up to when NASA was really my first encounter with other women, not women in STEM, because I had had some women you know, math teachers and stuff, but but really like STEM in, in the engineering sense, that was really my first encounter. You said that your husband also works in NASA. What does he do? Yes. Um, he is a propulsion engineer for the commercial crew program. He does um, stuff with SpaceX and the Demo 1 launch, Demo 2, you know, all of the stuff that's just recently happened with the Falcon 9. Right. Um, and where they are actually launching astronauts um, into space and that's that's what he does train like an astronaut and get lost in space at the u.s space and rocket center exclusive family weekend programs are available to try your hand at piloting the shuttle and is based on both the past and future of space exploration pilot the space shuttle and attempt to land safely with the museum shuttle experience your team of up to four participants must work together to land the shuttle and bring the crew safely home. Museum admission is required. Find out available times, prices, and more at rocketcenter.com and get ready to blast off. I think that what I do is really, really cool in a technical way. Life on other planets as we know it would definitely not be possible without 3D printing. 
I did want to be an astronaut. I love to fly. I want to get my pilot's license. I would love to be like a, you know, an astronaut pilot type situation. Um, but I am terrified, <laughs> you know, um, I've read a lot about what astronauts go through and their experiences and like, you know, they have to take their own blood. Oh, I could not do that. Like, that's <laughs> real. I can fly. I can be shot into space, you know, strap me to the front of the rocket. Let's go. But if I have to take my own blood, I will pass out. Yeah. <laughs> There's a whole lot. Like, yes, I would love to see, you know, our big blue marble, but I can't take my own blood. And that's where the line is drawn. <laughs> <laughs> My advice would be, don't be scared, because I was super scared, right? And um, as I quickly found out, the engineers that work at NASA are still people. Um, now being one, and people will reach out to me on like my. I have a STEM outreach Instagram. It's called Ad Astra Sue S U. People will reach out to me on my Instagram and say, hey, can you mentor me or do this or whatever? And I'm like, I always say yes, because I really think that that's like a big part of why I'm successful is because people that I knew were willing to help me and share their advice and all of the things that they did to get where they are. And I actually have... I'm a part of a mentor mentee program on Instagram. And my mentee, the first time I talked to her, she goes... I'm sorry, I'm shy, I'm just really nervous. And I was like, don't be nervous, I'm just a person. I, I mean, she goes, but you work at NASA. And I was like, yes, but that doesn't make me any less of a person. Like, I can still talk to you, I'm still a person. Um, so yeah, and also apply to that internship or job, you know, you may not think you're qualified for because you might be surprised. Um, when I applied for the Pathways program, I actually got hired into the communications branch um, with absolutely no background in communications at all. So that was where they found my application and they had remembered me from my internship and they wanted to make sure that I ended up at NASA. So they hired me on a limb, even though I didn't have any previous experience and I ended up moving to engineering within my pathways. So apply, you know, even if you don't feel like you're qualified. And also imposter syndrome is real and it's tough. And it's every day of you telling yourself, hey, I am I am qualified to be here. I am smart enough to be here. Like I deserve this. I worked hard for this. And it's a lot of self-doubt that you have to fight, but it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. I've got a spaceship that I'm waiting for. I'm flying up to the stars I'm gonna dare to explore this time And I'll let